Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. So with the pandemic, I'm seeing more and more people moving towards, of course, online learning. And further to that, a select few pioneers out there who are even teaching classes within virtual worlds. One such pioneer or innovator is Michael McDonald with Gold Lotus. Gold Lotus offers language learning experiences right inside VR, and Michael has been doing this for a while now. I actually spoke to him in episode 30 of this show about his amazing work, and I've invited him back on the show to unpack and focus more on what instructional design in VR might look like, because it may not be the same as what we think about for teaching and learning in either the physical classroom or a Zoom classroom. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. Hello, everybody, again. Um, if you didn't like episode 30 with me, you, you might want to turn off now because I'm going to continue talking uh, more about VR and language learning, but uh, I'm looking forward to uh, discussing with Craig as well and uh, a little bit more about how VR can help people teach or learn languages a little bit differently. Well, you should feel fairly special because you're the only the second person in my 55 episodes that I have asked on the show more than once. So Excellent. Uh, medal around or feather in your cap. Thank you very much. I feel very privileged. Um, and um, uh, that was March the 3rd, Craig. I just quickly found that then. I was thinking, I, I remember talking and it felt like this year, but this year has been very long and a little bit strange. And it was indeed March the 3rd. Um, so almost nine months ago. Yeah. For, for new listeners though, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit again, and then just give us another quick background. Why VR? What got you excited about VR? Yeah, so as you said, my name is Michael McDonald. I run the Gold Lotus Consultancy in Italy, and um, I'm from London originally, living in southern Italy um, in a place called Lecce. If you don't know Italy, it looks like a boot. I'm in the heel. And um, yeah, so the Gold Lotus Consultancy is all about helping people improve the way that they learn or teach a foreign language such as English. So we're focusing on English language at the moment uh, because that's my kind of bread and butter. I'm a, a TEFL qualified English teacher, effectively helping people who don't speak this language uh, natively, helping them kind of improve the way they do so. And uh, what got me into it, well, I studied uh, languages at school. It was pretty much the only thing I was good at. Um, and maths, physics, absolutely atrocious. There were, bear in mind, there were five maths levels at my school, one being the kind of um, Einstein's and number five. And I was in number five, stuck with people who were throwing uh, tipex around the classroom and um, uh, and saying some rather 
uh, questionable things. Um, didn't get much maths uh, kind of education in that particular class, but languages has always been something that's interested me. Studied German at university, and when then went to Germany, uh, Berlin to live for a, a period of time, and France, and now in Italy. So, um, you know, when you're only good at one thing, you want to run with it and make sure that you do your damn best at it. And uh, and why VR? Well, of course, you know, studying German at university from 2004 to 2008 with a big dictionary. Um, you know, it was what, only 12 years ago. Um, and then seeing the advancement of things like Google Cardboard about five, six years ago, seeing um, the web-based technologies which exist and support spatial learning um, and also the many programs out there and the advance of, of course, uh, three DOF, six DOF, six degrees of glorious freedom with your virtual reality headset. It just seems like perfect timing and uh, I feel lucky enough to be kind of uh, experiencing this new technological and educational revolution. Yeah, well well said. Do you think there are people out there that think that Google Cardboard, which again for new listeners is a, an older type of VR, you could put your phone in there and you can twist your head left and right. And we call it uh, three degrees of freedom. But not necessarily giving you full access to what your hands are doing or allowing your head to move around in a space. Do you think this level of VR wrecked it for the newer type of VR that's out there right now? That's a good question. I can answer that with a little story because, of course, with this 2020 pandemic, um, I have been forced to teach at distance the students that I'm working with in one of the Italian secondary schools here. And uh, we originally got a project approved uh, about 12 months ago, yeah, just just after Christmas 2019. Um, And we, with the school, bought uh, some... Uh, two Oculus Quests and eight Oculus Goes. A lot has happened since then, not only with the Facebook login, and maybe we'll touch on that later with the Oculus devices, uh, but also the um, the fact that your students can't get their grubby little mitts on the devices themselves because they're at home. So um, I actually went down to the garage, got out the Google Cardboard and was thinking, how you know, is this going to work? Because the students are at home. They've been creating their own Mozilla Hubs VR experiences available through a web browser, through your smartphone and also a VR headset if you have one. And um, but it just... It didn't, you know, really cut the mustard, to be honest. You, you, it's almost impossible to navigate, walk around. I, I say it wouldn't, it hasn't wrecked what we're seeing today with regards to the uh, Vive focuses, your Oculus Quests, your Quest 2s, etc. But it's, um, it's just a different type of experience. So if you want people to, you know, kind of sit back and look at some 360 images, I think it's an absolutely perfect starting point. It's not going to cost you much money. Um, and also maybe a video or two via the YouTube application. But apart from that, I'm, I'm really kind of, uh, once you once you get that Oculus Quest in your head, there's kind of no turning back. Because, mm. I mean, the feedback that I get from my students who have tried both is that the, as you just alluded to, the Oculus Quest usually blows them away because mm. they have so much freedom. The app that they're actually embarking on gives them more of an opportunity to be immersed in something. They can grab things, they can pick them up, they can throw things, they can touch things. And so the wow factor for the students that I teach who put on uh, a six degree of freedom headset like the Oculus Quest is there. But when you know we jump back to uh, 
you know, a three degree of freedom headset like Google Cardboard, mm. they, they almost, I know this sounds rude, but they almost seem uninspired and bored with it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talk about the question of accessibility as well. If schools or individuals cannot afford these, uh, you know, more advanced headsets that we just uh, spoke about, well, how can we get them that step closer to uh, immersing themselves in other kind of learning experiences? And you're right. Um, but again, I think it all depends how you package it. So at the end of the day, um, there's nothing wrong with a Google Cardboard. And if anybody's kind of, you know, uh, sitting there with a sad face thinking, well, that's all I have, that's not a problem. If you teach languages, for example, um, maybe you can get, uh, you know, $50 from your school leaders, uh, which is going to cover maybe 10, 15 headsets, Google Cardboard headsets, and, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, dovetail it with whatever you are teaching at that time. So if a student's learning about a particular city around the world, well, uh, give them the headset and, you know, get them to jump into New York City if they've never been there before and just make sure that is aligned to the curriculum. So I think where there's a will, there's a way. Um, I don't want to be too negative about, people, you know, things if you don't have the headsets, but um, ultimately it's down to the teacher and their kind of uh, ingenuity. Michael, that, that's great advice. And thanks for kind of wrapping it around that way. You're right. We don't want to discourage uh, any use of VR. Mm. I want to talk about full-on teaching within VR. Mm. So if we think about what we have to uh, ruminate on or think about if we're teaching in a physical real-world setting, we need to, you know, we need to spend time as a teacher planning and thinking about our lesson. You know, we have to prepare probably our classroom, you know, are the desks arranged the way we want them? Do we have the necessary materials? Like maybe we need a big whiteboard or maybe we're going to have kids write on a little mini whiteboard. Mm. So we're preparing artifacts like manipulatives ahead of time so that the lesson runs smoothly. And we're, of course, maximizing our time on task and then thus engagement of students. Let's let's shift that to what what this thought process might be like if you're delivering learning, teaching and learning, I guess, in a virtual space where the students either on their computer or quite possibly in a VR headset are meeting you in a virtual environment. What are some things that you have to think about so that the lesson runs well and smooth? One word I've got it in my hand, Energizer. That's, of course, not the only brand, but uh, a battery, a double-A battery. Oh. You're going <laughs> to need to make sure you've got uh, batteries in your controllers, that your headset's charged, and that you might have attached your headset to the SideQuest app or downloaded the latest update of Engage or any other application, which you may be using as part of your educational experience. Um, you know, that is fundamental the number of times, and I'm you know, not scared to admit it, um, nobody's perfect. The number of times I've gone into a lesson, I realize, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, the, the, I've not got the latest app. Uh, my left hand is not working. Why? Um, oh, I don't have a battery in it or there's no juice left. Those, those are simple, but key things people to need to remember when using the technology, of course. Um, but once you've done that, um, and you've kind of uh, jumped over that particular hurdle. Uh, the other thing, of course, is, yeah, just understanding about the technology itself and what it can and can't offer. So, you know, like just kind of 
back step a little bit. Um, the, the type of work I do is kind of split mostly into two types of student experience. So you've got the students that I work with, with the it's kind of Italian at the moment, secondary schools and some other countries as well. Norway is one of them where you know who's going to be in that VR classroom and you know the kind of journey that they're going on in the physical world, so to speak. And uh, so you can tailor the content long before you even enter the room. So what does that mean? You could use Engage's um, spatial recording feature to pre-record some stuff. They also have a library of some great pre-recorded content. Um, but there are times when I don't know who's going to be stepping into the classroom. Um, and particularly in Altspace, for example, another platform, if people don't know that, go and check it out. That's Altspace VR. Um, it's just a lot of kind of passing foot traffic and you could get, you know, people that seem very young versus people that are just there just to kind of cause problems as well. So it's a kind of the rough and tumble, but um, you have to go with the flow. And so to conclude, I'd say that there's no one thing that I necessarily do before a VR class, but, but what I would say is you need to spend time on these platforms in the technology, in virtual reality, to make sure that you can uh, kind of adapt as quickly as possible to whatever's needed. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, it's all about the preparation and just understanding the, the look and feel of a platform before actually teaching is fundamental. So with the platform, mm. as you said before, you, you want to get familiar with what the VR application and the social room that you're actually in VR. Do you tend to set it up the way you want or you just go with the flow and, you know, if there's a whiteboard there that you could write on to help sort of enhance some of your language teaching and learning, so be it. But if the whiteboard's not there, no big deal. Like, is there stuff you, you want in that space ahead of time or it's, it doesn't matter to you? No, um, sometimes it, sometimes, um, it doesn't matter so much when, um, and I, okay. I think as I'm saying this, I'm kind of realizing, um, that the times it doesn't matter is when I kind of feel like it's one of these, let's say introductory classes, you put an event out on one of these kind of, um, social VR or other platforms and, and you, you just wait and see who turns up literally. Um, I like the rough and tumble and the spontaneity of those types of events. However, um, there is a more, let's say, um, kind of evidence-based, uh, academically robust framework that you can create lessons around. And uh, how I do that is in the classroom, for example. So let's talk about Engage. It's a platform I use quite a lot. Uh, I often start in the classroom. So as soon as people join the class, they're like, oh, hang on a minute, this is virtual reality. I don't want to be standing in a virtual classroom when I could do that in the real world. And they don't seem very excited. But uh, the fun is, you know, yet to come. What you do, you've got the whiteboard there. You can begin to, as we call in kind of language teaching, uh, scaffold the vocabulary. So it's just a great way in a classroom not to overload the senses too much, just to get them conversing, talking with the teacher and other students about, well, um, for example, if we visited a volcano, what might be some of the key vocabulary that you would need to describe that volcano, of course, lava, ash, plumes of smoke. These are the expressions that are going to come to the, the surface. You can put that on the whiteboard. You can then begin to deconstruct some of the grammatical structures as well. So, you know, color coding, simple, but very effective. It's all stuff you can do in the physical world. But where VR already comes into its own then is, of course, then you can actually take them to Vesuvius or Etna and um, 
you know, get them uh, actually uh, kind of at least getting a step closer to what it might be like standing in an eruption of, you know, such a kind of uh, uh, a volcano. So that's it, Craig. I guess that's the kind of, in, in a nutshell, classroom, scaffold the vocabulary, begin the conversation there, then move on. Because, um, and there's some research out there actually by Cassandra Eng of Carnegie Mellon University um, spoke to recently. She did some interesting research where she actually took out some visual stimulus from a book and children actually were learning the language uh, better. They improved their reading skills and retained some of the new vocabulary better because they weren't bombarded with some of the visual stimulus. And I, I kind of take that stance with VR as well. It can be counterproductive to immediately kick off the lesson with crash bang wallop. Sometimes you do want to get down and dirty into the grammar, into the language, and then begin to kind of structure the contextual experience around that. I love your word scaffolding and, and related to that, again, uh, trying to think about what the physical classroom looks like. The other thing that w might worry me as a teacher might be, how do I deal with transitions? So in the physical classroom, uh, if I'm a science teacher, I might, like you said, introduce the lesson, talk about some of the important sort of key learning and vocabulary, but then I might want them to do uh, hands-on science lab with the beakers and maybe, you know, a harmless chemical. And as a teacher, I want to make sure that that transition is quite smooth and they understand then sort of what to do next and, and how to navigate sort of this delicate dance that I'm taking them through yeah. is, you know, so I can imagine as a teacher doing that in VR that I might worry about. So we're, we're in the virtual classroom, we've finished our sort of vocabulary activity, and then I tell them I'm going to take them or teleport them to Mount Vesuvius. Is is the transition for some students hard once they sort of see themselves now on the foot of or close to the top of Mount Vesuvius, or do they tend to stay focused? Tell me about transitions. Yeah, no, it's a yeah, good question. It's... Um... It, it's, it doesn't seem to be hard in my experience, again, and everything I'm saying is just through my kind of uh, experience. And I would say that it only improves the learning kind of uh, journey that, that a student goes through. So you know, like in, in language kind of um, learning, there, there's a lot of research to say that people who physically travel, uh, and I'll underline that word, physically travel to another country to learn a language, um, they actually uh, kind of improve their reading, uh, sorry, reading their speaking and listening skills um, uh, a, a lot more than those that stayed in their home country. Why? Because they are surrounded by native speakers. They are surrounded by the kind of contextual vocabulary. And it's that C word for 2020, not coronavirus, but context, which is <laughs> fundamental in, of course, uh, education. Um, and I, I, I personally find that when teaching in virtual reality, it does add wonderful contextual learning experiences when, yes, you've learn about, you know, how to spell lava or how to spell plume of smoke or what the past form of to erupt is, but then to stand there and experience it. And not only that, you could then transition that a step further by recording what you're doing, of course, with their consent um, and just warning them, I'm about to record what you're going to say. So it's so no dirty words, but what you can do, you can spatially record some of those uh, uh, kind of lessons or parts of lessons and they can't, they not only experience the eruption, just running with that example, but then they can then play back 
and relive, in a sense, uh, what they were saying during that eruption. So they might say, uh, oh, the, the hot lava um, uh, are flowing down the mountain or the volcano. And then you can say, well, that's the wrong verb. Why shouldn't you say are and why should you say is flowing? It, it's this kind of, let's say, almost, um, what's that film with DiCaprio, the inception, the dream within a dream. It's like a lesson within a lesson within a lesson. It's never ending. Mm when you look at the features. Um, so one simple context of an eruption uh, can bring to the fore incredible amounts of contextual learning and vocabulary and, you know, student understanding. Is Let's talk about platforms for a minute and then I'll have my follow-up is question here. So do you have, you know, you mentioned a few platforms and, you know, some of them you talked about are Engage, you know, there's also alt space you mentioned, or maybe not mentioned, and I'll mention, you know, you could use something called VR chat mm-hmm. to to teach a lesson in. Do you have a favorite or some other ones that maybe I haven't listed listed that you've tried? Um, so in addition to alt space engage, I'd add uh Rumi. That was my first love. Um and the uh Rumi platform by Doghead Simulations out there in Seattle and Orlando, I think they have a yeah you know a platform where you can meet people in real time from around the world and use some of their features to teach whatever you want to teach or just meet. Um, another platform is Mozilla Hubs and Frame. So those two Hubs and Frame. Um, Frame is by Verbella, which has quite a kind of popular uh, platform. Um, guy doing some great work. They've got Frame and. Uh, Mozilla Hubs. Now, those are particularly exciting for me as well because it's all web-based. WebXR, uh, all you need is a computer, even a smartphone to access them. You can build your own content very quickly, very easily, all throughout a web browser. So you don't even need a VR headset that we spoke about before. And it really gets the students kind of creating quickly, easily, and from the comfort of their own homes during this pandemic. Um, So I'm very excited about that. And I'm doing some uh, projects with some schools out here in Italy regarding that. Um, that Maybe we can talk about later. But uh, yeah, um, you mentioned VR chat. Uh, That's on my radar. Uh, um, uh, Rec Room as well is another one. Just got a hefty 20 million US dollars investment I read the other day, if I'm not mistaken. There's a lot out there. I've got my teeth in some of them, but you know, there's only enough hours in the day. So maybe you can show me around VR chat in 2021, Craig. That'd be interesting to know. Because how do you think that VR chat could lend itself to language learning, for example? Is there anything that you've seen? I haven't. You know, I mentioned it just because I have. Uh, I'm my biggest thing. We all sort of have. You know, I don't know if pet peeves is the right word. We all have a passion, you know, or or a label. And for me as a teacher who used to be a science teacher and now I'm a design teacher, Mm -hmm. I've always spent more time thinking about what can I have in my lesson today that evokes hands-on learning, Mm -hmm. gets kids excited, you know, mixes it up a bit. So I'm always thinking about manipulatives and and anything to that effect. So in the VR world for me, the the best apps for me as a teacher who teaches in VR would be ones where the library of uh, assets that I could bring in is huge. And I love that you mentioned uh, Frame. In fact, you had a post on LinkedIn that got me excited about Frame because they allow 
both myself as a teacher who might be creating a room that then I bring kids in to teach something, or as you alluded to, having kids create a room that then others come and they teach others, etc. They have a connection to Sketchfab, which has a plethora of objects that they can bring in, physical 3D objects that can help enhance or make things a little bit more hands-on, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of these, like, you know, there, there are apps out there which um, support uh, language learners. Um, and there's even one out doing some good work out in Asia, um, Immerse, I think it's called as well. They actually have a platform. Um, but for what I'm doing, there's not one, you know, kind of go-to platform. Everything offers something different. So if if people are listening to this and they're not language teachers, you know, I don't want to kind of funnel everything into that road. But, you know, like you said, it could be a science teacher, could be teaching maths, physics, history, art history, whatever. Um, there's a lot out there that if you just spend a little bit of time with the headset on or via your 2D you know, screen, um, you will see that, you know, with some creativity, you, you can adapt a lot of it to any subject, really. Um, so I think that's the kind of thing for me is quite interesting. Um, you see a YouTube video, uh, you know, of a particular subject, a lot of the time, you kind of, you're pigeonholed into a particular subject or discipline. But in VR, it feels like anything's possible. And I feel like, yeah, I'm teaching English today, but maybe in 10 years, I'll be a I don't know. I don't want to dilute your experience, but I feel like I could teach science in a sense, or I could teach astronomy or some other random subject that I had nothing to do with because it's all there. And I just feel like I want to use it and teach more people. Mm. Speaking of that, of the VR environments that we've spoken about, is there is there something you wish, you know, you talked about the future that they could do that none of them can do right now? And Maybe, you know, you hope that, you know, the next iteration or the next update might allow you to do dot, 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 dot. Hmm. Well, I, um, okay, so I'll, I'm going to group this into two categories. The first category is stuff that I feel that is absolutely possible right now if the, any of the developers of these companies are listening. Um, uh, register feature. We, I, I need a register. Like I know some of the platforms like Engage, you can see – uh, as the event host who attended your lesson, you see the name, the country they're from, and you can actually then email them uh, before or after the event. Um, uh, so in theory, you could keep track of them. However, I've not seen any platform that has a kind of, you know, a fundamental teaching tool, which is a register. Did did little Johnny come to the last lesson? Uh, was he there two weeks ago? Is he here today? And even take that a step further, you know, how long was little Johnny talking during that 60-minute lesson, which is important for me as a language teacher to know, you know, if he's not talking at all, then I'm not doing my job correctly. Um, so registers, I'd love to see something like that. Again, writing instruments, some of these platforms don't have much in the way of actually me being able to spell a word. Um, there might be sticky notes you can bring out but or, or pens in certain rooms and Mozilla hubs, actually, that we mentioned. Any room, anywhere, you can just grab a pen from thin air and start writing. But I think if you've got one of these platforms, I, I would love to see uh, yeah, writing instruments. But taking it a step further, listen, let's, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, I want sense of smell. 
I want haptics. I want touch. I want to, you know, that volcano that I mentioned before. Sorry, sorry to keep harping on about that, but I want to be able to not just hear the eruption and see the rock flying towards me. I want to get the kind of you know, kind of smoky smell blowing into my nose. I want to, you know, run my hands across the volcanic rock at the base of the mountain or volcano and feel the, the rough surface. That's where it needs to be going. And if anybody's listening out there that wants to. Uh, you know, help me take my students to that type of learning experience, get in touch because that that is the next level. See, for me, I would love, and like you, I'm not a, a, a programmer or a coder. So some of the, the platforms that the developers are using are things like Unity and Unreal Engine and what they can do under the hood in these particular uh, applications is they can create more interactivity. And, and that's, that's what I hope will come soon is for students as well as teachers who don't have necessarily the understanding or time to learn harder programming and interactions to be able to do it easily. So, I, you know, I teach a unit, it's a beautiful unit about, um, being displaced. So we look at homeless people and we look at refugees. And then I teach the kids uh, flat pack furniture design and they have to design their own flat pack furniture piece. Mm. Well, to do that in VR is really hard because you may be able to pull in from Sketchfab a full-on table, but mm -hmm. that that's it. The kids can't manipulate it. They can't take the legs apart. They can't uh, you know pack it up and demonstrate how it might move from one location to another, like a refugee person. And so my my hope in that question is that that becomes easier for users or participants, and, and that is to make pieces that are assets more interactive. Amen. Couldn't couldn't agree more. That that yeah. Why not? You alluded to, and it was so interesting the way you described it. You sort of have two types of genres that you teach. One is sort of fly by the seat of your pants, where you know you host an event like in alt space, and then anyone from anywhere can just show up and and improve their English language skills. And then you alluded to the other scenario, which some teachers are looking at, and that is to have sort of an extension or literally teach a full-on class from their school in the virtual world where they know all these students. But in both these instances, I want to unpack a little bit about behavior because behavior can be daunting for some teachers. If we think of the physical classroom, behavior or misbehavior, if you will, can disrupt learning. It can derail the lesson. So teachers have certain strategies over time, experienced and younger teachers, on how to make the lesson run smoothly and ensure that misbehavior doesn't sort of derail this lesson. So they could use proximity, which means get closer to the student. And because the teacher's closer to them, the kid might behave better. Or, you know, they could coerce them through a polite one-on-one -on -one chat to let them know, you know, what they're doing right now isn't good for the, the whole group and it's not good for them and isn't conducive to learning. How about VR, Michael? You know, how do you deal with disruptions and misbehavior in, in the virtual world? Yeah, that's, um, I've had two situations in the last few years where <clears throat> I, I'd say I'd lost control. Um, not of myself, uh, don't, don't worry about it. students. Um, I, I would say um, one of them was with some Norwegians 
um, and I was in Rumi and uh, they just didn't stop picking things up. <laughs> like I planted these kind of 3D objects from Google Poly, rest in peace, um, the, mm-hmm. uh, around the room. And I, I, they just they just wouldn't put them down and they were running around like crazy. And um, uh, yeah, so, th- so that was one experience. And then the other one was I lost control of 15 Vietnamese teenagers in Mozilla Hubs um, and they ended up. Graffitiing, graffitiing on a UNESCO World Heritage Site, the Colosseum in Rome, and um, I apologise to the Italian government for that uh, profusely. However, I, I guess what I would say is, um, what could you do to mitigate those circumstances, those situations? For number one is the space. Both of those situations, the space that I had put them in was way too big. It was effectively an infinite reality. They could have walked and walked forever. Um, and certainly in Rumi, I'm pretty sure that was the case for Mozilla Hubs. The fact is that it was too big for the number of people. So what happened with the Vietnamese students, They, as soon as I had actually gone into the space, they had accessed it like a minute before me. So nobody was there to kind of shepherd them towards the mm. big screen. And I arrived and I saw people dressed as Batman and Santa Claus running around on the top levels and I was trying to say, yeah, come down, come down. <laughs> you know, you, you, it's just something that only happens in VR. But um, I guess that's that's the thing. Make sure that the space that you put your students in, you can, you know, is let's say uh, small enough, like they can't walk around too much. Um, that they already are acclimatized to virtual learning. In that, um, don't put too many three D objects everywhere because they will pick them up. They will press the buttons. Um, and um, and that's that. However, one of the downsides of Mozilla Hubs, which is a platform that I love, is that I don't think you can remove that functionality from them. They everyone has the pens. Everyone can bring in models from Sketchfab. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of uh, two things I'd say is structure the course in that you are educating the students on what's right and wrong in a place like that. They wouldn't you wouldn't take them on a school a school field trip to you know, the uh, First World War graveyards and they'd be running around like lunatics jumping on the on the stones. Uh, they, they, but they kind of might do that in VR. So you have to be very, very kind of careful in how the students understand the technology and, as I said a few times, the size of the area as well. Would you be as explicit to say, you know, I, I don't think you can turn off teleporting and movement, can you? Are there any of those platforms where once they once they enter the room, you can lock them into a particular position in space and time until you're done giving clear instructions on or ground rules. Is that possible that you know of? A kind of virtual straitjacket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, I'd like I'd like some physical straitjackets for the times I physically go into the schools as well. It wouldn't be bad. But um, the um, virtual, I let me think. Engage. I I think there's something where you can seat people automatically. Mm. Um, apart from that, no, I, I don't think you can. Uh, so there we go. That's would that be, in your opinion, would that be offensive if if that was a tool, or would you think that would be effective to just sort of set the set the sort of stage for, you know, scaffolding and transitions and instructions, etc. That respect goes both ways. So um, I'm a bit old school in this. I think at the end of the day, if you're 
teenagers know they're getting up to no good when they're saying dirty words and you know throwing stuff around whether it be in physical objects or virtual uh they they know they shouldn't be doing it and and children much younger know as well um i suspect so i think as long it it comes back as long as you explain why you're doing certain things and again it's how you package it so one of the first things i said today about the google cardboards is, is how you package it how you present it it's not that you enter the class and saying i've put you all in these little uh, you know, invisible boxes because I don't trust you, and that might that might be the reason. But uh, don't say that. You, you're kind of saying, look, we this is a time for actual, you know, concentration. We don't want to be running around. You can do that later, maybe. We can, you know, start throwing three um, D beds and chairs at each other after. However, now is a time for the scaffolding, the constructive learning, and you know, discipline at the end of the day. And look, I'm. I say to people all the time, there's nothing wrong with turning off the technology, uh, shutting the laptop down and a pen and paper in your hand and, you know, memorizing, rote learning 20 vocabulary items that you need for, you know, that you need to learn. Uh, people might disagree with that. I personally have seen good experience with that learning foreign languages and some, there's a time and a place for that. Um, so it's not always about uh, amazing virtual field trips everywhere. We always have to think from wow to how, and it's my kind of strap line I like to use, um, you know, from wow, okay, it's nice. I'm in VR. I'm in ancient Egypt. However, how do we get them to passing the tests, keep the parents happy, keep the scoreboard happy, and making sure that they are demonstrably improving the way they learn? Well, you alluded to this. There's tons of research about, you know, the more rapport and positive relationships we build with students, the more open they are to learning. You know, that's almost a given. Students basically need to feel welcome and comfortable in their learning environment, whether that's the physical environment or whether that's the virtual. However, the tough part about the virtual environment can be, you know, things like they're in an avatar and they're not as easily recognizable. If they're a student, for example, that you maybe have taught for three or four classes now. So they're an ongoing reoccurring student that you have in the VR world, but now, you know, they're switching their avatar or they might be the students that you alluded to in Altspace where they're just in and out. They're there maybe for some quick conversation to learn a little bit more about English, you know, and building rapport for those students who are constantly new or their identity is changing because of their avatar makes it I would say, in my humble opinion, incredibly difficult to build rapport and maybe positive relationships. I'm, I'm curious to see what your thoughts or experiences are with that. Yeah, my, my um, look, I, I remember when I finished, I never, ever wanted to be a teacher. It scared the living hell out of me to think that I would be <laughs> at the front of a class in charge of 30 um 30 students, I was going to say I've had with them, but 30 excitable young people and, uh, you know, think how, you know, it, it just seems daunting. Um, I then went, uh, after I graduated, I went to France for a few months and I taught English and this was at a summer school where basically the, the mornings they would learn English with me and the afternoons they played sports like tennis, rugby and football. Now, there's no prizes for guessing which part of the day they preferred most. Most kids want to play football and basketball. Um, however, and, and I realized very quickly that 
like I was trying to teach them too much. Um, it was hot, it was summer, you know, they, they, and I, I just, I got back to basics and thought, well, let's just kind of strike up a report, talk to them. And through that conversation in English, they, they opened up, they shared their thoughts. And I realized at that point, yeah, you don't have to, anyway, for teaching a language, I appreciate, you know, when you've got exams to pass and get through the academic year, it's a different story. But um, sometimes having a conversation with the students, being open to them, just asking them questions rather than just telling them what you think they should know is is hugely empowering for both them and you as a teacher. Um, and uh, another example, I remember in VR, there was, um, I kicked some people out of a VR lesson. Basically, like I didn't warn them, I just kicked them out because they were of being like really disruptive um and they're actually native english speakers um and the guy resurrected his twitter account to basically ask me why i'd done that and i and, and the long long and the short of it is i had kicked him out because i'd associated him with other people in that part of the space that had been disruptive but he hadn't done anything he told me so he got back in contact with me i then met him one-to-one in all space under a tree in the campfire and um he explained to me you know like he was sorry that i'd associated with him uh that uh, you know that those actions but um long the story long short of it is it's very easy as a teacher as an event host in vr to just kick people out left right and center if you don't agree with them if you think they have done something but sometimes actually walking up to them using the proximity as you yourself said earlier is really really important to just say you know you understand that there could be children in here you understand that there are you know people with a nervous disposition or just want to learn simply so i think conversation is key i think um as you look in the physical kind of teaching environments a lot of the time teachers are so overworked and under-resourced they don't have that kind of you know mentor role anymore uh, as i see it. it's, it's very difficult to kind of instill you know, trust within the students because you just swept along by the academic year. What would you think, Craig? I mean, you, you, your experiences with VR. I mean, do you think VR can be a vehicle to uh, more quickly build the rapport um, among people, or do you think it can be more distracting than anything in terms of human relationships between the educator and the students? I don't think I have enough uh, metrics to to fully feel comfortable with a strong answer to this. Uh, like you alluded to, I've spent some time teaching in VR and in those cases, it wasn't as courageous as yours. The people that did come in, I had known ahead of time. And so I knew the the true selves or their identity. You know, I had invited them to, to meet me. So it wasn't uh, anonymous people that I'd never met before, making it a lot easier for me already to have that uh, rapport. But if I had to guess, you know, you and I are very similar. I, I would do what you did and, and try my best to t- kind of talk them sort of off the ledge, if you will. I would try and reason with them to say, you know, this is going to be a great lesson. You know, here, you know here's what we need to do. But right now, um, you know, running around or teleporting around and grabbing objects and drawing on things isn't necessarily going to help us move forward. You're, you're welcome to come on over and, and join us in a structured approach. If not, then as you said, I'm going to have to kick you out of the room. I don't want to kick you out of the room, but you know, I'm here, you know, for a finite amount of time today. And uh, so, you know, help me out. Yeah. 
and and, the, and then the big question I, I don't have an answer for this but this is when we're talking about your kind of uh lessons of with people that imagine that you you are teaching a curriculum to someone over nine months in vr and you are on the other side of the planet and you need to get them passing a test uh, at the end of the year well what happens then? I mean, I need to know who are the teachers physically with the students. Is anyone in that room? Is there kind of also a teacher in VR, but in the background monitoring things? These are kind of important things that as a teacher remotely educating people in VR, where there is so much stimulus and kind of uh, audiovisual effects, I, I want to know that I'm being supported as well. So I think that's something to bear in mind as well. And some of these kids who do have VR headsets, you know, we think about kid culture. One of the things that I was so um, thankful for learning when I did my Bachelor of Education and even when I took my Master's was that, you know, you want to be aware of where the kids are coming from. What's their, in, in this case, kid culture means like, what's what's what are they doing outside of school that might help influence your thoughts and beliefs on how they behave inside a structured environment like, in this case, VR. Like many of the kids, when they're in VR chat or some of these social platforms with a VR headset are doing just that. They're sort of running around, maybe shooting basketballs or playing paintball within these social VR platforms. And therefore, maybe that's that's their mode of operation. And it, like I said, in most cases, it probably just takes a bit of... Uh, explaining that the context we're in now is more structured and we're here to learn things and not just sort of be a big sandbox to play around in. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess the fine point on that is it, it comes down it, like if you, if you now in Singapore went to a supermarket and started throwing things around, um, you, you, you wouldn't do that, not just because it's not right, but because you, you would be recognized. Your face is hugely important to, you know, your identity and your life and your uh, and everything around that. And I think, um, of course, as this technology evolves, it would be interesting to see that because you, you, you recognize avatars um, and some of them look quite similar to people's real faces. But as the digital identity becomes, let's say, more closely aligned to who we are as well, how we physically look and everything is connected, I, I you know, I think that's where it becomes more dangerous because if we're not educating the young people now about like, you know, here's the appropriate way to act in VR and here's the appropriate way how to act in real life, um, then I think we're opening ourselves up to, you know, having a whole generation of people that are going to be, you know, um, maybe a little bit lost in these virtual worlds. But Yeah, well said. I want to shift gears to one more quick uh, comparison between physical teaching and virtual reality teaching. And that has to do with formative assessment. You mentioned summative assessment, getting kids ready for tests. But in the physical world, when you're teaching kids, they give you feedback as you're teaching. You know, we, we might call it, you know, the, the light bulb goes on above their head. But really what that means is they might give you some sort of uh, facial cue that they understood, like some kids might nod or there's these little cues that allow you instant feedback when you're teaching, whether it's language or some other subject that gives you sort of a sense of confidence that they're with you and the lesson's going great. You know, there are even little tips and tricks 
under the auspice of formative feedback and assessment that we might use like traffic lights, like hold up the red cup if you're not sure you understood what I just said, or hold up the green cup like a green light if you feel like you're with me. Yes. How does that work in VR? Is there opportunity with some of the language classes that you've been teaching to to gather formative feedback in some way? Uh, the emoticons can be very useful. Um, Alt space and hubs have, yeah, just buttons you can press to give kind of sad faces, happy faces. That I find people, um, people seem to like using that even without you asking them. Um, uh, so that, that can be very useful as you go along. Um, the the other thing is the uh, the body language that you mentioned. Yeah, it's something in VR that is really actually quite difficult because, of course, to learn. Sorry, speaking a foreign language or trying to speak a foreign language is hugely. Um, it opens you up to you. You're almost certainly going to make a mistake. Uh, you might not say it the correct way, the pronunciation. You might make a grammatical error, etc. And so you have to be brave to speak a foreign language, especially among other people and with strangers. So that's something that as a language teacher, I really feel like is lacking hugely in the technology at the moment is my ability to gauge from their body language, you know, whether they actually want to speak uh, rather than just kind of take a backseat and improve their listening skills. So... Um, I, I can't really answer the question other than saying, yes, the emoticons are a great way. I know Engage has the just introduced the kind of hand clap feature. But um, I think, again, it comes back to the teacher. If you are an educator that cares about, you know, what your students um, are doing and uh, you want to improve the way that you teach as well, you need to be, you know, just a good old fashioned question. Are you learning? Is everything OK? Uh, you know, do you understand? Uh, can you reproduce the sentence? Um uh, but but I guess as well, actually, in a more um, or less explicit way, you could, uh, with the 3D objects, you know, get the students to demonstrate their understanding of a subject by, you know, them uh, representing to you uh, some of the 3D objects. You could give them co-host ability if you're feeling brave and they can actually bring in some of the 3D objects or from Sketchfab if you're using hubs and uh, demonstrate the fact that they are uh, indeed learning from you. Yeah, I never thought of that. Actually, I'm glad I asked that question to you. Thanks. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out an analogy. I love analogies and metaphors. I think it makes people sort of think about things a little bit more deeply. So, I've heard this sort of analogy before that the primary aim of teaching and instruction is to take people from point A to point B. Okay. So if if that's the backdrop to this, then what kind of vehicle would you say VR is in this metaphor? Uh, wow. Okay. Um, maybe something like a sports car. Uh, so again, I'm thinking it's, it's shiny, it's new, you know, uh, well, okay. I say it's shiny, it's new. VR has been around for decades. Um, but in this current form, let's put it like that. Um, and it's shiny, it's new. Uh, it's, it feels kind of new when you experience it as a sports car would. And I've never driven one. I have a Ford Fiesta, but um, I guess <laughs> the, the thing is that you, um, it can go very, very wrong. If you don't put petrol in the thing, um, then you ain't going anywhere. Um, but you might also use 
it for because you know sports cars are kind of considered as get a to b as quickly as possible and the tendency with vr is like let's take them to vesuvius let's take them to ancient egypt but you know actually do the students even know what's going on why they're going there in the first place is it aligned to their curriculum and their learning objectives is it even good for them to take them in lesson number one to those locations and but actually sports cars you can you can go slower you can go to the classroom you can go 10 miles an hour in the city center, you know, with the uh, the top down and, you know, people look at you um, as you're driving past. And that's VR as well. It's, it is about um, the different types of uh, how you take people on that journey. And um, so I'd, I'd urge people, because I can see the time, I, um, I, I want to get this out there before we close, is whether you've got the headset or not, the, the Oculus, the uh, HTC devices, doesn't matter. Use the Google Cardboards in a way that is meaningful for you and your students. Um, uh, it just all comes down to, you know, kind of what you're trying to teach. Well, is there anything else that maybe we didn't say that you feel the audience might want to hear in regards to how it compares to the physical classroom? Um, so... This is at the heart of like, you know, what I do. I think that it's all about the student creation. So if I could just plug a project I'm working on at the moment, because um, I, I feel that it's been hugely liberating for me as a teacher to have taken this step. But I think that if, if educators out there are interested in VR, great, you know, spend time in VR, look at how it can best adapt to your, you know, objectives. Um but don't stop there. It's not just about consumption of this amazing content, in my opinion. It's all about as well getting the students hands on. So if you're lucky enough to have, you know, these higher end headsets, then use the Engage Creator tool. They also have creation, creation tools. Um, if you have, um, uh, you know, the, the new iPhone and you want to do the digital scans and then put it in onto Sketchfab and then bring that into Mozilla Hubs, amazing. But um, I, I really think we should try hard to think how we can use this technology to transform the way that students see the world, see their positioning, their local kind of culture and how that connects to the global culture. Um, and, you know, this is a golden, golden opportunity we have to make, you know, students, you know, real uh, leading stakeholders in their journey rather than them just turning up with their, you know, kind of old school bag sitting at the class and just, you know, passively being swept along throughout the academic year. This is somewhere we, we should be asking the students how best we can use this technology to, you know, improve the way they learn, but fundamentally inspire them, you know, uh, um, if we can inspire them to want to learn, then anything's possible. Michael, I what a great ending. It's probably one of the reasons why I've had you on the show more than once is you're such a great ambassador and you do such a wonderful job of articulating what I truly believe is one of the powers of VR. And, uh, you know, like you, I hope that more and more teachers and educational institutions out there investigate the merits of this um, new technology, this new communication tool. If people wanted to get a hold of you, either maybe to look at what Gold Lotus might do or just to ask you more questions or unpack maybe some of your uh, scary stories from VR, how would they do that? So the website is goldlotus.co. That's com without the M at the end. So goldlotus.co. Uh, 
I'm on LinkedIn somewhere. I think it's Michael McVR. Uh, and if there are show notes, I guess we could put those links in there. But I'll finish with this. If there are any teachers out there anywhere in the world that want to jump on board the program I'm running with an Italian school here where students build their Mozilla Hubs experiences and uh, and then we present them to other schools around the world. We've already done that with an American school in North Carolina and we've got more schools lined up. If you're interested in learning more how this technology can adapt, not just to language learning specifically, but to just bring students together and get them talking with their peers around the world, then please do get in touch. And the email address is contact at goldlotus.co. Awesome. Michael, I'll put that in the show notes at the top. Hey, I wish you a wonderful Christmas break. And if you hang on quickly after, we can do just a quick debrief. Sure. Great. Thank you very much, Craig, for the opportunity. Keep up the great work and look forward to listening to more of your podcasts uh, next year, which is in 10 days or so. So happy new year to all your listeners and uh, speak to you soon. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.